0: Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, today the tables are turned. I was interviewed over on Rafi Salazar's podcast, The Better Outcome Show, and with his permission, we are publishing that episode and that interview here on the Dave Kittle show. So he interviewed me. I was in the uh, the limelight there. And what was important is if you're a practitioner thinking about selling in the next year or two, or in the next three to five years, there were many topics that we covered in regarding exit planning. And if you're not looking to sell anytime soon, then marketing lead generation strategies for organic growth for the next several years. That'll be in terms of online marketing, offline marketing, A lot of uh, tips and tricks that we're using that Rafi and I are using in our practices to grow organically year over year. And also, if you're a practice owner, you're even thinking or considering about selling or exiting some percentage, either all or some of your practice, what's a good time to potentially tell your staff? How do you prepare your staff and clinicians for the challenges, the opportunities that might come through acquisition or a practice sale or a partnership or some form of exit? So, we cover a lot of those topics. You guys can check out the Better Outcomes show and Rafi's main website, RehabUPracticeSolutions.com. That's Rehab, the letter U, com. And sometime soon in the near future, we also will have Rafi Salzar on the Dave Kittle show to hear about his situation because he acquired a practice and and he's using what he understands and he's learned in regards to uh marketing online, offline, and a lot of different organization and sales strategies and techniques on building a practice he helps practice owners with that so if you're interested after you hear us engage and discuss this interview jump over to rehab you practice solutions.com and definitely go check out the better outcome show i follow it and subscribe to it on itunes but rafi covers a lot of different topics healthcare hiring recently they were also covering telehealth and then also Ebitda, exiting financials. So he covers a broad range of topics for healthcare. Really, really great stuff. Check out the Better Outcomes show. Anyway, right now we'll be cross-posting my interview on his show. Right now, check it out and let me know what you think.
1: Well, hey Dave, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey
0: Rocky, feeling great. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you about growth, about growing an out-of-network clinic. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to do what you're doing now.
0: Sure. I'm a physical therapist, always been an entrepreneur and worked for several different companies in the New York City area over the years. And um, long story short, about four years ago, started an in in-home physical therapy practice. And we treat predominantly ortho and neuro, kind of a, a 50-50 split there. And we are out of network with folks that may have out-of-network benefits and also private pay. And that's kind of goes back and forth in terms of percentages. But probably right now, 60% out of network and then 40% private pay where we just have their cards on file. So a pretty customized curated experience. It's not for everybody. We don't have barbells. We don't have the full gym experience, but that's pretty much where we're at for the the confines of New York City.
1: Yeah. So you're offering services in in the home, right? As opposed to them coming to a clinic or something like that.
0: Correct. So we do in-home. We've done boardrooms, offices. Uh, I've been... Uh, restaurants, uh, (laughs) helping chefs uh, in in the restaurant treat them there pretty much anywhere. So it could be hotel rooms, people that fly into New York City and stay for a couple weeks for a surgery. It's really unique. It it always keeps it fresh.
1: Yeah. So I guess then was one of the main reasons for being out of network and we'll talk about what that means in a minute. But was that mode of treatment like going to their the patient or the client's Place of business or a home or anything? Was that one of the driving factors that chose you to do that? Or was there another reason that made you think, oh, I'll just go do in home therapy?
0: Well, one of the reasons was I, I saw how other practices were doing it. I saw the approximate reimbursement throughout a network versus in network. And it was basically uh, really you know, great or, or above average reimbursement per visit throughout a network side versus in network. So, in terms of your time, and the reimbursement amount and being able to provide above and beyond quality experience so not just 60 minutes with each patient which is not for everybody but that's what we want to do and then at the same time being able to be compensated for that and communicating with patients between the visits and following up with them kind of having a lot of these patients or clients for life so it's across the continuum we just I saw that as a promising business model as opposed to the in-network traditional model, where it's a little bit more volume-based and, and typically is an office, doesn't mean that there's not offices that are outpatient that do out of network across the country. That's certainly promising as well. Uh, it just seemed to you know fit for my type of a situation at that time, and it made sense for my therapist, and myself, and our clients.
1: Yeah. So it was kind of both a business decision. It made sense financially, and then also from the quality of care. Right. Yeah. So when we say out of network, you're still in some instances, you're still billing insurance, right? You're still submitting insurance or claims on their behalf. Or are you providing your your patients or your clients like a
0: super bill or something that they're getting reimbursed for down the road? I love how we're making this distinction because if you're just giving someone a super bill or an itemized receipt, that is not out of network. You might (laughs) say that you're out of network, but you're not providing any out-of-network billing incentive for the patient, right? So what we do is we have a a medical biller. We verify everyone's insurance on the front end. If they have a deductible, they have to pay out-of-pocket, prorated, like whatever our approximate out-of-pocket rate per visit is. All those dollars, we're not pocketing those. All those dollars are reflected towards their out-of-network deductible. Once they hit that deductible, it could be the fifth visit. If the fifth visit, then their cost per visit would drop down. And then we're billing their insurance, their out-of-network benefits through that medical biller that gets a percentage of our collections like any other biller. And then we're billing that patient's insurance and their cost per visit. They get the same great experience. Someone coming conveniently to their home, doctor physical therapy, coming to their residence and getting the ortho or the neuro treatment and their cost per visit drops once they hit their deductible. So they're oftentimes paying their in-network copay at that point. So that's super appealing. Once they hit their deductible, they're having a in-network price, but a concierge or out-of-pocket or out-of-network type of an experience.
1: Yeah, I think it's an important distinction because you do see a lot of people saying, at least on their websites and stuff, that they're out of network, but then it's still, well, you pay us up front, and we'll give you the super bill, and you can go get reimbursed. But there's a big distinction when you're doing some of that heavy lifting on the patient or client's behalf, right? <laughs> sure, absolutely. So, cool deal. All right, so we've established the baseline. So you're doing. In home, maybe in the restaurant, whatever, in boardroom treatments, you're doing some of the heavy lifting with the um, out-of-network billing side of things. How does it work from a, like a, a patient acquisition standpoint then on your, on your end? Are you marketing to uh, physicians or referral uh, organizations? Or are you trying to go more direct to consumer
0: in that round for new business it. development? We've been direct to consumer this whole time. I've built the business through Google ads and now word of mouth is great. And it's the conversion rate for that is typically very high. (laughs) It's very high, but you have to wait. Like there's, you know, you could remind people like, Hey, Rafi, like, I would love for you to, you know, refer any friends or, you know, mention us to your, your neighbors or whatever, but you can't rely on that. And I believe it just, it's slow. So what we do is Google ads and we've done it almost from day one. That's how we grew the practice. And we end up getting folks in our orbit and speaking to them to kind of filter in and out if if they're the right fit through Google Ads, folks that are looking for in-home physical therapy or the related, you know, offering.
1: Yeah. Because you're out of network and and doing some of that, are you able to offer services that would not be otherwise covered via normal insurance? I'm thinking like maybe dry needling or something, you know, some of those things that are, that are coming kind of at the forefront that some insurance companies aren't paying for. Are you still providing that? And then the patient is, you're still building that out of network and the patient's making up the difference or, or how does that work?
0: Well, the, the one answer to that is dry needling is not allowed in the state of New York. So we oh, would probably well have that's easy. a different example. <laughs> yeah. So, so like someone called in yesterday and they were looking for stretch therapy, yeah. which is like, they want someone to come to them and passively stretch them for an hour. Well, I, we told them like, Hey, it's not medically necessary. Your insurance is not going to pay for that. Tell us what's going on. Maybe if you have other issues, but that purely would be out of pocket. So there's yeah. always a communication mm-hmm. like back and forth about what they're looking for and is it medically necessary and a covered service or not? And then if it's not like, if they're looking for some hybrid, like we'll get, we had people just call and say like, can you, you know, walk our family member in the hallway or just want somebody to to make sure they're not going to fall. Right. <laughs> right. So then it's like, well, then you got to evaluate them and see like, are they actually medically necessary? And they may be, but we've also had people call in and they're like, yeah, I can walk like two miles and I want to walk four miles. Like, well, <laughs> that is, you're already, good like, goal. <laughs> you're already really good in terms of where you're at. And that's something that we wouldn't legally be able to document and show medical necessity for.
1: Yeah. So I guess there's a distinction there as, as always. Right. So yeah. I had a question. Oh, about the decision to go out of network. Obviously, when you and I spoke last time, you said you were out of network with Medicare, too. I got two questions. The first one was, what made you make that decision from a, I guess, a a market potential decision, right? Like, obviously, there's a lot of older people that use Medicare and not going in in network with Medicare kind of cuts a lot of that potential patient volume away so what was your what was your decision about doing that? Was it just too much of a headache or you're already out of
0: network and you're keeping busy? so why bother? I didn't want to do the Medicare paperwork if we grow so the next conversation that we're about to have on yeah. the show I'm sure we're going to talk about the acquisitions that like those things are already set up, so for us, it was like we're charging folks like on average x amount per visit out of pocket. We know that if someone has Medicare and they're medically necessary then Typically we should actually refer them to someone that actually takes their Medicare. There's a whole gray area there. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Um, but we didn't want to have to try to enroll into all these in-network plans and agree to these low reimbursements. We just it was like I think when we started, it was like, I don't know, our time's worth like a hundred bucks a visit, a hundred bucks an hour. The visits, you know, back then 45 minutes to an hour. So it was like if Medicare is paying a hundred for four units after you and you have to do extra documentation, like. If you're seeing someone purely out of pocket, the state in New York, like the lowest documentation, the the just satisfying the lowest form of what's documentable and and required is less. If you're literally just doing like paper and pen and you're charging someone like out of pocket and it's more when it's the payers and the, you know, the EMR and you got to click through a lot of stuff. So then like those systems and processes have made it more. So that was like basically in a nutshell, like why, why we skipped out on all that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you've, if you've ever had some of these discussions. Being a former academic, I get them every now and then from former colleagues and stuff like that, specifically about out-of-network and private pay. And there's always the discussion of, well, I mean, if everybody decided to go out-of-network, no one would be able to get services, right? Like These people that need services wouldn't be able to get them. What is your typical response when you hear that?
0: I say that, luckily, there's always, I believe, a safety net Available. Now, if you're right, if everyone went out of network, then the whole system would have to change and they would have to say, oh, well, maybe we should actually reimburse and pay therapists more. They're actually demanding, you know, $200 a visit or whatever it is. You know, so if everyone went out of network, there might be a gap where like people that actually need the care and the physical therapy would actually not get it at all. And that's terrible but as you know there's many of these like root causes of like the health insurance system and we're kind of downstream playing uh-huh. in response to the symptoms or the challenges of the system we're kind of just like playing the game and and that's a whole other conversation about the healthcare system yeah that, that's kind of how i feel about it i say right now like if someone wants to work with us we have like fixed costs for like the marketing costs i have to pay my therapist like i had a conversation with my a therapist today it was like hey can you uh, increase the the rate like can can you pay me more because rent's going up and inflation and this and that and, and all that so we're getting pressure from practice owners like i'm paying for an answering service i'm paying for google ads i'm paying fixed costs to treat my therapist so I need some margin to reinvest it in the business so that we can actually can continue to help the neighborhood or the community but yeah. at the end of the day not every business can be the right fit for every single consumer I believe so yeah,
1: yes, that's a very similar response to the one I give. Is like, well, you know, it's a, it's a free market. <laughs> not everybody's gonna. Well, and from a just from a business standpoint, like, not every business is gonna choose to go out of network because they're in network already, and the the costs are going out and all that kind of stuff. So, anyways, let's dive into the the interesting discussion at hand. So, when I had a conversation with Mike Pegatowski, I can't remember if it was this most previous one or the the one from last year. We had a discussion around. Acquisitions and strategic players, and the types of practices that purchase other practices and what they look for. And one of the big things that he talked about in that conversation was they look at payer mix, they look at reimbursement rates and contracts and all that, especially if they're going to be moving into a new geographic area. And I brought up the idea of okay, so what about like these out of network practices? He said, oh, strategic partners don't necessarily purchase out of network practices because there's just not a whole lot there for them. You know, they're in network, right? That's their business model, their strategy. So as a result, you get a lot of -of out-of-network practices that might get really big. um, And they might add locations here and there and the other wherever. But they haven't made the leap yet to think about growing through acquisition. And that's something that you're thinking about, right? You're in the process of doing. So talk with us a little bit about, one, why you made that decision to go... You grow through acquisition as opposed to just organic growth. And then we'll talk a little bit about how you're going to make it work and and all that kind of stuff. So, just start with the basics. Why are you deciding to grow through acquisition in an out of network practice?
0: So, one is I believe that we can get to, you know, like I want to grow. I don't want to just stay where we're at. So, that's like maybe the foundational belief of like, (laughs) I don't want to just like get to like a comfortable level and just like stay like that, maybe increase a few percentage points each year. I want to grow. And so I want to I grow our platform company, which is the in-home therapy company, the practice. And I believe that we can get there faster through acquisition. Otherwise, we would just be doing it ourselves. And we would just try to continue to grow, which is what we're, we're growing organically with the Google Ads, the word of mouth, all that type of stuff. So I've seen like a lot of other businesses, a lot of other practices, like they typically do that. The ones that we speak to... Now and they say things like, Man, I, I wish I didn't get complacent. And I wish I did what you guys were doing 10, 20, 30 years ago. Right. So I want to grow. I, I believe that we can grow faster. It's not always going to be the best growth because then if you grow organically, you can kind of curate your own culture along the way. Yeah. You can kind of you can kind of grow your own thing as it goes. So there's going to be challenges that way. There's, I'm not saying it's easy, but I just believe that we can grow via acquisition and get there faster, get to a also end up helping more people and more more patients and clients under our philosophy under our type of business model through acquisition as opposed to just organic growth only
1: yeah so being out of network then PS I like the I like the growth through acquisition model so I, I like to see that you're doing it in the out of network so given your strategy your out of network strategy your your targets for lack of a better word or the clinics that you might look at to purchase or acquire and bring into your fold are you looking specifically for, for out of network folks or is it one of those like, you're looking for maybe in, in network, if the, if the culture is right, if the size is right, or the geographic area is right. And then what do you do about your business model? If one big EIN purchases another EIN that's in network with all these organizations, right?
0: So right now we have a practice under contract in Brooklyn, uh, under contract basically means like we've agreed on a purchase price and terms via a non-binding LOI, a letter of intent. And now we're kind of going you know into due diligence. Yeah. So that's where we're at right now. We are speaking with another 10, 12 practice owners that are kind of in the ballpark of seriousness in terms of, of selling some or all their practice. Now, the one we have under contract right now is 100% in network. Yeah. So when you're, you're saying like, we're taking our out-of-network model, and making acquisitions, which is true. But we're not necessarily just acquiring out-of-network practices only. And we see that there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of ideas. It's going to take time and effort. But for the outpatient office that's in network right now that we have under contract, if we... Let's say we close the, the sale today, um, there's going to be a lot of time and effort and work to go put into that. But our ideas are like, aside from cleaning up the billing, the revenue cycle management, the you know that, that type of thing, we're going to have a, a billing team Help us with that, but in terms of the offering, we believe that one thing, like we could immediately have home visits, or the the concierge like mobile visits, like almost immediately with our current home therapy practice. And then there's other things like with certain payers, like if certain contracts are below whatever it costs the practice to deliver one visit, like how much it costs to deliver one service visit, then some of those contracts might need to be dropped by us by the practice. And then in those cases, then we may. Decide to go out of network with some of those payers. It's probably not going to be a a clean swipe across the board yeah. and just like not overnight go out of network with everyone. I think that would be risky. We might you know go by uh, payer by payer, maybe try to negotiate contracts. Obviously, you know that you have to be really really big to yeah. probably get much of a change with uh, negotiating contracts. So we're not just looking to acquire out of network specifically. So it really depends. Like the other thing you said, which is, it depends on the the owner, the culture is the right fit, the location, the team. How long has the team been there? Like, are all the PTs like in and out? Is it a revolving door, or are there PTs that have been there 5, 10 years, fifteen years? Like, that's great because they're
1: yeah they're going to be loyal,
0: there. they're sticky, they're, they're going to be there for a while. So or they have been there for a while. So that shows like stability.
1: Yeah. Okay. So and then from a from a standpoint of okay we we picked this clinic we're going to maybe look at them do you your evaluation are you still looking in the same way that like a a strategic in network person might might look at them or are you adding more value on maybe a geographic region or maybe a contract that you're not in yet that you want to be in, or any of that? Like does any of that come into play or change the way you look at a, a clinic from a valuation standpoint, or is it kind of just standard, this is what best practices in the industry and we're doing it this way?
0: So the first big thing similar to what you mentioned on the episodes with Mike is like what's the annual net profit and, and EBITDA after adbacks? So uh-huh. after some of the the owner's discretionary purchases, what what is the EBITDA there? That's like the biggest component, but then there's always going to be a buffer. Like, how do we, the potential buyer and the potential seller, like we're all, we're going to go back and forth? They're going to uh-huh. say XYZ is worth more. We're going to say I don't know. Like, it might not be worth as much as you believe it's worth, right? So, like in that buffer, they might say, "Oh, so, so we've had a practice owner. You've seen the the APO shoes with like the rounded bottom shoes. Yes, that yeah. some insurance is pay for. Uh huh." So there's a practice owner that we won't mention name or location, but they were like close to getting a contract for that. And one of the one or more of the insurances were would pay like hundreds of dollars or something or thousands for the therapist to kind of be the conduit for those shoes like fitting and and all that and kind of teach them the exercises or just, you know, walk on them or, or whatever. So... But that owner was saying, like, hey, we might get this, but he didn't have it, he or she didn't have it in place. Yeah. So there's things like that. You could say, if an owner said, okay, location, they're near the practices, the location is near the subway, it's near, it's on a busy street or it's not. All of those things kind of go into the negotiation. We start with what's the net profit, the EBITDA, and then there's going to be all these other factors.
1: Yeah. As far as location goes, are, I don't know if you've put a lot of a lot of thought into this or not, but it seems like there are some chains. We will leave them unnamed. They're they're putting they're putting clinics on like they're like Waffle House down here in the south. They're like at every corner, you know, like um, particularly for like an out of network practice. I'm, I'm curious about this. Like, have you thought about geographic location of your clinics? Because I'm assuming at least my experience in our clinic the patients that we see that are out of network or that are, are cash pay are usually willing to drive a little further to come see us than like an in network patient might be right. Cause they're, they're looking more for the convenience factor um, when acquiring through this model, because you're out of network, are you kind of extending that geographic reach? Or are you okay with them being a little closer together or like, what are your thoughts on distance from locations
0: per practice? You mean?
1: Yeah, Yeah. Assuming they have multiple. Exactly. Or if you're we, just going to start putting new ones out.
0: <laughs> well, well. so one thing is we're only speaking with practice owners in New York, New Jersey. There's a few practice owners that we've spoken with that have a mobile practice that's in other states. So uh-huh. that's appealing because I already know that model. We do it here in yeah. New York. And there's other practice owners that are doing it like across multiple states. So that's appealing. But in terms of the brick and mortar outpatient offices, we're only speaking with practice owners in New York, New Jersey, because I'm going to be the one traveling and, and helping with with culture, training, staff, all that type of stuff. So we're not looking to go past that right now until we, you know, grow a Kinda team. Nail it down. Um, also we're not looking to do any de novos. We're not looking to do any startups. Um, our what our perception of assessing value and risk is like there's already this practice has been there for 10, 15, 18 years. And it's probably gonna be busy and needed in the community for another 5, 10, 18 years, right? Yeah. So these bigger practices that are starting and popping up de novos, even here on the East Coast, it's happening. I'm like, wow, like, is there enough, enough demand? Like, yeah. I guess they must have done enough, you know, underwriting or not underwriting. They must have done enough like market research yeah. to, uh, to see if there was enough demand. Our focus is acquiring profitable, reputable assets and, and practices and not start de novos or, or startups right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. <laughs> if they've been there for a while. They'll probably be there for a little bit longer, right? As far as just this amount of curiosity, now New York, that area, are y'all pretty thick with like the volume of clinics that are out there because of the I don't know, eleven million people that live in New York City or whatever, or or are you more spread out? Like, I, I guess what's the state of the market there? Like, are there just PTs on every clinic on every corner?
0: There's PT practices all over the place. There's one, two three, I mean I, I can say names like they're like and it's nothing against them like they're doing great like yeah. there's there's spear that has twenty five locations they're just in the New York City area there's professional PT that has all over the East coast there's motion PT that has all over the east yeah. coast there's Ivy rehab that's all over the East coast, and now there a lot of them, even Ivy is coming into to Brooklyn and to New York City, so there's a lot of in network outpatient offices all over the city there's some historically that have been inside of gyms like uh New York sports clubs or, or, or fitness centers yeah. There have been, you know, uh, Blink Fitness, maybe even Equinox. And then there's the other, like the tier of the independent private pay or cash-based physical therapist that wants to like go do their own thing. They can start doing home visits. They could do a sublease somewhere or go into some like boutique gym. So there's like, there's so much available patient demand that like, I guess there's competition, but also there's just so much demand because there's so many people, like you said.
1: Yeah. I'm always curious about that. Like whenever I travel to another state, I always look at, because I'm in the PTOT world, I'm always looking and and seeing, oh man, they don't have that many here. (laughs) Or man, there's a whole lot of them, you know, it's it's interesting. And I guess that speaks to the kind of the strength of the market too. Like if there's, if some of these big players are putting them up everywhere, then obviously there's something to it. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a little bit about the acquisition, what you're looking for. Are you looking... Maybe we didn't... Maybe I didn't cover this one. So are you looking at some of these practices? Are these multi-location practices? Or are you looking specifically for like single brick and mortar or maybe single, single location just from a, like a culture standpoint when you go in and, and acquire this practice?
0: We're looking for practices that are around a million in, in revenue or more. Now, we'll speak to some practice owners that are maybe below that. But it really goes back to how long have they been in practice? How long have they been serving their community? And ultimately, like we'll do a lot of outbound. Now, Like as you know, like I have a podcast. I have a show. Like I'm trying to do that as a way for content marketing and to get more exposure. So we have practice owners reaching out to us. And what we found as a niche... So you were asking, like, what do we look for? But on the other perspective is like, there's practice owners yeah. that if they haven't already sold to a corporate, one of the corporates I already just mentioned if they haven't already sold to them in the past three to five years, because they've absolutely been contacted by all of them. (laughs) If they have not sold to them by now, there's probably a reason. And typically what they say to us is they don't want to sell to a corporate. They would rather sell to a group like us that has physical therapists and is kind of like a PT owner group, meaning it like led by a therapist and is less of the, big bureaucracy, you know, corporate type of situation, because otherwise they would have sold to them either before COVID or during COVID or now, you know, in 2022. So those are the types of owners that we kind of have great conversations with. And we're open to both. Like we've spoken with and, and are speaking with practices that have anywhere from one location to five or 10 like that on the on the high side yeah. or on the, you know, the, the scale side that big as of right now, nothing uh, larger than that. Um, that's going to take a lot more, you know, investment money and and all that. But um, that's kind of our sweet spot right now.
1: Yeah, I like that distinction. The the people that sold to corporate versus not. I, you know, I purchased a clinic here at the tail end of twenty twenty, and when I was talking to the two owners, the previous owners, about their clinic, and I knew we had a big chain that was buying up stuff. I was like, so obviously they can probably offer you more than i'm going to offer you here and they're like i think it would kill our soul if we sold to them <laughs> you know like <laughs> so there's some there go. the type of owner that would sell to a corporate versus non you did mention just a second ago investment money so how what's the the funding mechanism for these acquisitions is it are you looking at pe or is it friends and family like how are you how are you doing that
0: yeah great question so it's our capital directly or indirectly through our board so i i created a board and it's my capital from the in-home therapy practice, basically, again, reinvesting back in the uh-huh. same way that we reinvest in the Google ads through the board. And then also I've met several different high net worth individuals over the years doing home visits for them and their family.
1: Yeah. And
0: I kind of kept them apprised of what we've been doing and, and what we're up to and, and the, my goals and everything. So one of them is someone who's very, very, very successful and has a family office for the audience. If you don't know what that is, it's basically like if you become a multimillionaire, multi-hundred millionaire or billionaire, yeah. you do something called a family office where you hire a team, an investment team to actually manage your own assets. It sounds crazy <laughs> as a therapist probably, but um, that that's a family office. Now, so that's one of our uh, equity backers. And the reason why that's beneficial is because most of the other big corporate PT chains are private equity backed. Yeah. And those private equity funds have to get a return for their investors every, you know, three to seven years or and five it's to seven crazy, years. Crazy, right? <laughs> it's And it's usually crazy. So what they do is they'll have to accelerate a lot of growth. And that puts a lot of pressure on therapists and, they, you know, in terms of, you know, units or volume completed visits, right? The benefit for us is that we have this family office that's like, Hey, Dave, we love you. We trust you. We have a long term investment horizon. So meaning we don't need that quick five to seven year return. Now, of course they need and they want to return, but they know that it's a long-term play and it's not a short-term play, which I don't know. I've never heard of any of these corporate PT groups that are family office backed as opposed yeah. to being private equity backed They're typically PE backed. And that's another area of differentiation for us where that's also appealing for owners. They want to sell to someone like you or me because it's like a therapist they're selling to but it also doesn't hurt that we have a different financial partner that has a long-term view and that money is not tied to a fund that needs a a measurable return to then, you know, return to their limited partners. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. And and some of those PE firms, like you said, they're they're trying to turn around quick and a lot of times it's it ends up being another sale, right? Like they're they buy a group or you know, they they might even do a roll-up where they take 50, 60 clinics, roll them all up into one fund. You know, they try to accelerate that growth for like 12 to 18 months, maybe a couple of years, and then it's like boom, we're selling it to somebody else too. And there's just on top of the the pressure for volume, there's also like this understanding, maybe it's unspoken or maybe it is spoken and, and talked about in those offices that like manage is going to change again because they know that this this PE firm just pushing them through, they're growing them. And once they hit their whatever level it is, they're selling them off to another group that's probably going to have more demands or different demands. And it just becomes a different, um, a different bear altogether. I like the family right. office movement. <laughs> so I guess that does lead to the next question too. So you're acquiring these these clinics is a long term vision. You got a family office kind of backing you financially. So the long-term plan for these clinics is What, you holding them for as long until you're ready to retire or (laughs) until you get to the point where you sell it or or what?
0: Correct. Correct. We really, of course, if there's investors involved, then they want us, you know, they want to have some exit. And of course, with them, we have to talk about it. But we want to hold assets for the long term. We want to use the cash flow of the initial assets that we acquire. We want to be able to bonus the staff. We want to be able to show that the staff can actually potentially have some type of an upside if they stay with us instead yeah. of go to some corporate or go start their own practice. And then also use some percentage of that cash flow to roll into other assets. And we want to hold them for long-term. So it's, I mean, I I've read a lot with Warren Buffett. So a uh, long-term play, long-term investments. Um, and it's turned out well for, people like him and, and a lot of others that are tr- in terms of a, like a long-term horizon of holding practices or holding, you know, uh, holding Pretty businesses kind of acid, yeah. that's always going to be in need. Like, you know, Warren Buffett said things like he bought into Wrigley's gum because people were always going to chew gum. There was never going to be an app or technology that disrupts how people chew gum. That's the way I see physical therapy. I don't think there, I know there's apps out there, but I don't think there's ever going to be some killer app that's going to change the way that someone gets empathetical. And high quality yeah. therapy, whether from OT, PT, whatever.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, we have folks on the show all the time that are either starting some new software piece in the in the rehab industry, or you know they're starting some tool, or they they've acquired some kind of technology and artificial intelligence or whatever it is. And people always freak out. Like, I'll get the shows that I get the, the most emails from. Are the shows about something that's going to quote unquote kill the industry, right? <laughs> like I can't believe you're going to give these people a platform because they're going to they're going to turn us all into you know button pushers or whatever. And I'm like, I don't. My way of looking at it is you look at this technology as a force multiplier, right? Like it has it has the ability to expand your reach in ways we never thought of. Um, the maybe the clinics or the clinicians that go under because of it probably should have anyways in the first place, <laughs> right? Right. Are y'all exploring other kind of revenue streams in those assets, like instead of um, just like pay per visit or or volume or whatever, other types of revenue generation? Like I'm talking to somebody right now. We just created a couple courses here, proactive and, and stuff like that. Like other ways of kind of pulling in or serving more clients and using that kind of that revenue as a means to again roll into more assets and all that kind of stuff.
0: I think the easiest thing to consider would be something like wellness memberships. Yeah. So whether it's like those Theraboots, the 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 Therabody, you know, compression boots, or it's uh some out-of-pocket recurring membership, which you have the person's card on file, so that's very valuable, reoccurs every month if you're showing value, like if it's actually helpful. They could come in, drop in anytime. Maybe they get soft tissue work, they get some assisted stretching, they they get cupping, they get whatever it is out of pocket. Depending on the spacing, it could be sport performance, it could be sports conditioning, sports-specific type programming, if you have that type of space, and if you're trying to serve that type of a population. But we're, we're looking at things like that, out-of-pocket type services, less like, less towards the, the digital course type thing. And I would love... In the future, I would love to hear how it goes for you because I think you find that it's helpful or beneficial. It's taken um, off, we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, let, let us know. But, but at the end of the day, like, if someone has some mild form of back pain, and if they can pay you 250 bucks for some twelve week digital course, great. And if it helps them, great. I just don't think those types of things like digital courses are going to be able to solve a lot of the oh, world's yeah, like orthopedic sure. issues and especially and especially like neurological issues, vertigo, dizziness, whatever. No one's going to an app for that type yeah, of stuff.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. I feel like, you know, knowledge translation is obviously something that's, at least in my opinion, one of the biggest value as that clinician's bring to the table anyways so i'm i'm always looking at well maybe if you develop something that is some form of knowledge translation at the end of the day maybe it is just like the funnel that gets them into your clinic or something like that right like like right. you said someone with a, a vestibular issue is not going to be able to use an app on their smartphone and you know do an epley maneuver on themselves or something right <laughs> or something right all right let me see if i have any questions coming to mind so we talked a little bit about kind of the acquisition as far as as culture goes, like when you're having these conversations with these prospective organizations that you're you know the clinics that you're looking at buying, was part of the process having a conversation with staff and management and kind of getting a feel for their you know their sense of purpose or, or whatever you want to call it within the organization, or has it really been just kind of owner owner to owner or executive to executive conversations?
0: In the beginning, just owner to owner. So ultimately, that's the owner's uh, decision as to when he or she may tell their staff. And Uh many of them are not going to tell them unless it's really close or actually close, right? Because they don't want to scare them. Some owner I've heard owners on my podcast say both ways, like they told their staff up front, like that's who was visiting or whatever. Uh, Also, we've toured practices and we met with owners after the clinic closed that day. So we don't necessarily meet all the staff and you don't necessarily know how the clinic is uh, in terms of the culture, but you try, you try to piece it together, right? You got messaging on the website, you have Google reviews, maybe there's Yelp or Facebook reviews. You kind of look at the online messaging you could do. Let's see what we have done. I've been a a patient. I had some neck discomfort and last year when we were looking at a different practice, I went into the practice, I scheduled an evaluation for neck pain. I went in, I went like, and now I didn't tell that owner. And I, I, don't, I haven't done it with all the other candidates that we're targeting right now. But I, I, I went through that whole process. The owner didn't get upset. He said, he said, hey, Dave, if I were you, I would do the same thing, right? Yeah. So I got to go in as a real patient and kind of see how I was welcomed in the office, how I was told the to wait, paperwork, that whole thing brought back, how I was evaluated and treated knowing with I'm a therapist. So yeah. I know what actually should occur. And like anytime something didn't, then it's like, oh, you know, whatever. So that that was helpful. I've had family members come visit us and we send them into some of these offices as secret shoppers and they go in and they say, Hey, in person, like, hey, uh, do you take whatever insurance or, you know, can I get some more information and can I get some brochures or whatever? And then the place like doesn't have brochures to hand out. Just, just little things, like yeah. all those things you can learn a lot. You just you can't learn it all unless you're in the office and you're kind of seeing and hearing the culture. But in the small time that we've done this, I have been pleasantly surprised seeing how the therapists are communicating with each other or with patients. And that is super reassuring. But anytime someone's gonna spend, you know, X amount of substantial dollars to potentially acquire any practices like this, it's important for someone like us to do our own due diligence, yeah. and, and maybe I could. I mean, we could save it for the podcast where I, I have you on my show. But um, you know, like, did you do any of those things? Did you, you know, maybe you knew the practice already?
1: Yeah. Well, I knew the owners before, and then a couple of my former colleagues or classmates had been through the. They had worked there, or whatever. So I kind of had an inside view. Um, one of my friends, his wife, worked here for like five or six years. So I was like, okay, got a little bit of feel for how it's working <laughs> or not working. Right. I guess, so another question kind of comes off of that one. So you're looking at these, you're kind of getting the, the high value picture of their, their um, or the high level picture of their culture, how things are working, their processes. Have y'all developed like a, uh, what does he call it in the E-Myth? A prototype, like a, almost like a franchise model where you're like, these are the systems that are going to work and we're going to buy you and we're going to apply these systems to your practice. or Or have you given much thought about that kind of, what happens sure. post post acquisition?
0: Sure. I mean, one, one example is what we do already for my yeah. home therapy practice, concierge pain relief. So if someone calls my practice, like it gets answered by an answering service person who kind of reads through our script and like gets your information, and then someone from my team does the callback. So at least like we have that in place. That's like a small thing, but like these potential acquisition targets, I'll call their office like. 8pm on a Friday, 5pm on a Saturday, and like the call doesn't get answered, which is fine. But then I don't leave a voicemail. And then my call never gets returned. It's like, I could have been a prospective patient. Yeah. And my call doesn't get returned, or the call doesn't get answered. That's like one little thing that yeah, of course, we have like a a playbook per se, of what we believe works with the concierge pain relief. And we're absolutely going to implement those types of things. But it's more on the front end. It's more on the the patient experience side of things. It's about communication. And it's about taking someone through a process, like a conversation that we kind of touch on the whole insurance and cost. Uh We try to nicely touch on that and then get off of that and then talk about their situation. Rafi, tell me about what's going on. Oh, it sounds like that's frustrating. I, we've had other clients that have an xyz issue and they've mentioned that they've been dealing it like that you know dealing with it just like you're mentioning it here's what they found to be helpful here's how they made a decision here's the things that we've been able to help our clients with maybe we send them testimonials whatever but our onboarding calls are longer in duration yeah and those are some of the things that we would we're probably going to bring to our acquisition targets that that's just like that's one thing of like several behind the scenes
1: yeah yeah no i i think that's awesome <laughs> one of the first things i did when when i bought this practice was basically put not a script i hate the word script but it's a it's a framework it's a conversation framework for when somebody calls right. and it's like these phone calls might take you longer than they did before but the patients or the prospective patients are going to f- walk away from that experience feeling like oh my gosh this clinic cares about me and that's what you're shooting for right Exactly. But it's always interesting to think about. I didn't I did not really put a whole lot of thought into like business frameworks. And when I purchase this thing, I'm gonna take this model and apply it here because I didn't have one before. I was, you know, i had been doing a lot of consulting and I've took some of the frameworks that I use with my clients and put it here. But there you go. Having it having a um kind of like a sample that you're doing here now with the clinic and then taking that what's working and applying it to an acquisition target is is probably
0: a little bit easier. <laughs> because yeah, I mean the real world experience. And, and just from the example I gave, like the communication piece on the front end, then and the same thing with your framework, like you implement that type of thing, maybe the practice didn't have that set up. And then now all of a sudden, the cancel no-show rate goes from you know 20% to 10% or from 15% to 7%. And more folks are actually arriving for their visits. Now for us, it's easier because we're going to people for the home visits. But in an outpatient office, like more people that actually arrive They're more likely to complete their plan of care. They're more likely to get the result that they wanted. They're more likely to tell more people about that office or that clinic and that experience. And that's kind of like the part of the marketing machine kind of fulfilling like process where it's just going to continue.
1: Yeah. All righty. Well, we're getting near the end here. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm trying to think if there's anything like one or two main takeaways you would want a listener to walk away with from the show, what would they
0: be? Takeaways. Um, you know, look outside the box. Like there's opportunities, just like Rafi, to um like you, Rafi, you didn't have a practice before you acquired this one, right? Or did no. you no, I was a you consultant. Before. <laughs> so most people think most therapists, PTs, OTs, right? They think they have to go work for somebody, or maybe they start a practice and you did something that's not one of those two things. So like think outside the box, look and find resources like this type of an episode. Like there's ways where you don't have to have a practice like I do and then go acquire practice. You can do what Rafi did and you can acquire a practice that you already know and, and you trust and you see that you can work hard in it and implement new ideas and, and potential new strategies. And you don't need to go work for somebody else or the daunting task of starting something yeah. from scratch, which is also challenging. And that's probably the biggest takeaway. PTs, OTs, there's other things you can do out there. Look, look at the pros and cons of acquiring someone else's practice. There's a lot of potentially motivated sellers out there. There's folks that are even in their 40s, 50s, 60s that are either looking to retire, start the next chapter of their life. Maybe they want a different uh, pace of life. Maybe they're looking to move. And you, the PTOT listening, might be the best fit where that owner wants to sell to a therapist instead of a corporate buyer. So there's a lot of opportunity out there, but you have to go... And find it. You have to, you know, reach out to practice owners. You have to, you know, get a network, contact people on LinkedIn. Uh, I listened. Somehow, you and I got contact connected yeah. on LinkedIn, and, and I, I heard your podcast with Mike, and I was like, oh, this is great. And then I reached out, and we we started talking from there. So you have to do a lot of outbound. You have to have energy. You have to uh, find opportunities. And once you do that, you'll find even more opportunities than you even believe were even possible.
1: Awesome. That's great. I think I'm going to title this episode, Think Outside the Box. Um, (laughs) Nice. So where can people find out more about you, about your work, connect with you, you've got the podcast, all the places?
0: Sure. So if you're a therapist, or especially a practice owner, definitely check out the Dave Kittle Show. So K-I-T-T-L-E on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify. If you're looking to connect, you can just type in Dave Kittle into LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, but uh, LinkedIn is probably the, the best like professional spot for us to connect. And my practice is concierge pain relief home physical therapy. So if you're a therapist in the New York City area, Long Island, New Jersey, upstate New York, but it's specifically in New York, if you're looking to make like $80 to $100 per visit as a therapist, and we potentially could hire you if you're looking for that, feel free to reach out to me, uh, Dave at concierge Painrelief.com, my email address, steve at conciergepainrelief.com.
1: Awesome. We'll link to all that in the show notes. So thank you very much, man. Have a good one. Excellent. Thank you. Until the next time.
0: Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at Dave at ConciergePainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C O N C I E R G E painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, six four six-seven eight one eight 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 four.